All right. So one of the questions that we got on Instagram, we did a poll recently asking people to submit any questions, any topic recommendations that they want to see us talk about. And your mom, shout out Isabel, my future mother-in-law, even though Gabriela doesn't believe in me, uh, doesn't believe in us. Her question or uh, what she typed into the suggestion box is the following. Was it okay for Fallon Fox to claim fair and square victory? Transgenders in sports. Mm -hmm. So for those of you who don't know Fallon Fox, um, I believe she was the first um, transgender athlete to uh, make it into the ME, um, MMA, MMA right. yeah, uh, into the UFC. And she made a bunch of different headlines uh, because of her just swift trajectory through the ranks of mm -hmm. the UFC. And a lot of people, obviously, that stirred a, lo a lot of um, dilemma, a lot of criticism towards her. Right. And we'll get into that in a bit, too, about the whole pronoun thing and what I believe in. Um what do we think about that? What do I think about that, right? Do you want me to start off? Go, yes. Okay, so I think, I look, the whole point of this show is for us to completely express ourselves and express our thoughts, our ideas without any real worry, I guess, for or how it's received. Any constraints mm -hmm. or any, like, we don't want to feel restrained from, you know, talking about stuff. Right. So when it comes to transgenders in sports, I fundamentally disagree. I don't think it's fair. And the reason I don't think it's fair is because I do believe in the idea of biology. I do believe that biology is a real thing. I do believe that science is a real thing. I do believe that if someone is biologically male and they undergo a surgery where their sexual reproductive organs are changed and swapped for the opposite sex, that does not completely, um, that does not completely, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, <sighs> change or that transform? That does not completely disregard oh. all the other assets that they have mm -hmm. from birth that defines their sex. So what I mean by that is like a male going into a male dominant sport as a female doesn't really make a difference because you're competing with other males. But even if you, for example, but that wouldn't happen nowadays, right? Because if a male mm -hmm. undergoes a surgery, a transgender surgery and becomes a woman, she will compete in a woman's sport. Right. In women's category, which is what happened with Fallon, Fallon Fox. Fox. Mm -hmm. And what I'm trying to say is like, I I would be pro transgenders in sports if it were the case that a biological male who underwent transgender surgery became a female competes within the category of biological males. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you wear a dress. I don't care if you identify yourself as a woman, if you whatever, if you change your name. Biologically, you're going to compete with the people in the same biological realm as you are. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you can change that because by default, your bone structure is more dense. Your your um, arm width is usually longer. Like mm -hmm. you, you're just um, like I like I don't know how to explain it. Like you're just a guy. Right. You're you're just a guy trying to compete, you know? Like, by, I don't think that makes sense. By default, you have more strength. Yes. 
and it's not even a matter of opinion of like oh like women empowerment you mm-hmm. know like I'm, I'm all for full expression of self like the whole point of this podcast is to um introduce that idea into the world because i think the world is lacking the ability to receive open ideas and receive free fl- free flows of consciousness what we often i guess resort to now is just people um kind of trying to police everything you say and mm-hmm. that's why i really wanted to start this episode with touching on that topic which is a very problematic topic just you know and just like started off yeah that's pretty high you know I and i know. i think another thing is that nowadays like in society a lot of people reject any other opinion so whatever you have to say is invalid automatically mm-hmm. right off the bat it's incorrect if it doesn't align with what their perspective or idea is. And I think there's a lot of like sensitive and touchy subjects and people like everyone has their own opinions. And I think what's important is to always be open minded and nobody is saying that you have to agree or disagree with anybody. It's just being open minded, taking the perspectives that are being offered to you and just yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And and just being able to make your own um your own educated assumptions is that the right term it's like if if you tell me something the usually nowadays the first thing people do is they think oh like is this uh is this statement well received by the community in which i inhabit Mm -hmm. be it the community of transgender people be it the community of um I don't know, like any community that you identify with, like the first thing is like the group mentality has to filter out every idea that comes into that right. group. It's, so the individual loses power when it comes to filtering it out for themselves. It's like taking in, into consideration every single um, person's feelings. And then mm-hmm. at that point, once you've taken into consideration all these people's feelings, you're just completely like censored and restricted into this box. And your feeling ceases to matter. Yeah, that's that true. Because once it gets to yours, like your feeling has no power over whether or not you want to accept or if you yeah, can't accept that idea. That's so true. And that goes into my opinion too um, regarding the whole transgender thing, right? It's like when it comes to pronouns, I addressed Fallon Fox at the beginning as a she. Mm-hmm. Biologically, it's a he. I don't care what you are, what political um, ideology you endorse, what whatever it is that you believe in, you can't debate me on the fact that that's a biological male. Mm. Like that's just something that's irrefutable. Like you can't, you, you, you simply can't, right? So when it comes to pronouns, I think it goes back to the idea of people nowadays, like they just want to push, like push their ideologies and push their narratives and their ideas and their opinions onto other people and see just how far they can keep pushing until Mm -hmm. someone says whoa whoa, whoa, this is getting ridiculous right this is getting crazy you know and that and we could even go into like for for example um other kins i don't i don't know if people listening to this know but other kins are people who identify themselves as animals (laughs) as non-human objects as non-human beings so these are people that for example you, like, I could wake up one day, right, and some random guy comes to me, and mind you, this is a biological male. He approaches me, and then he can say, like, oh, like, in the morning, I wake up and I identify myself as a unicorn. And then by around 11.20, 11.25, I shift my perspective, and then I identify myself as Dumbledore from Harry Potter. 
And then around like 6 p.m., I hop on a call with my grandma. Then I identify myself as her nephew. And then around 9 p.m., I go out with the boys and the girls. And then I identify myself as a female, mm. as a she. So like these, this idea of gender fluidity, look, to each their own. You know, like whatever makes you happy, whatever makes you feel seen and accepted, great. But don't expect the world to accept it. And to revolve around it. Right. Like, don't expect people to pivot to, like, your your wants and your whatever what you believe your rights are because they won't. Yeah. They simply won't. If, for example, we had a conversation about what if there is a female, uh, well, transgender female with the biological parts of a male, but she identifies as female, so she wants to use the female restroom. So is that correct? Mm. I don't know. I think. What do you think? I think it's it's tricky, and I think personally, I wouldn't feel like personally. I don't. I don't mind because if you identify as female, then to like to each their own, like you said before. But I think a lot of people won't feel comfortable because it is biologically a male. Yeah. And this is a female restroom. And then yeah. vice versa, too. I think things get really tricky when you go down that road, mm-hmm. like in general, because like you can play this from so many different angles and you can take on so many different opinions and so many different perspectives. Like, for like for example, let's uh, like let's let's pretend like this person has a malicious intent mm-hmm. right? and this person was once a male and then now he identifies himself as a she. And she wants to utilize the female restroom, right? Let's assume that this biological male has the worst intentions. Like he has some ulterior motives Mm -hmm. that is to like maybe, I don't know, grant his way into the female restroom to um, spy on other females while they're using the restroom. Like, like that's a worst case scenario. Right. right? Like that's to you this, know. This isn't a generalization. It's yeah, just no. a. It's just in a, like in like, an example. Right. It's a, hypothesis. a hypothetical. Right. Yeah. So let's assume that this individual has predatory intentions, mm-hmm. and if society says, "Oh yeah, of course," like you identify yourself as a woman now, you can utilize the female bathroom. Like society isn't taking into account the opinion of the mass. In Mm -hmm. that sense, you know, like most people, like what, like how will other females feel in terms of comfort, in terms of security when you using the bathroom next to that guy? Yeah. And then let's say, for example, something does happen. Right. Mm -hmm. And then this becomes a whole another detrimental situation because these uh, biological females had the right to use that bathroom. Because they identify and are biologically female. Mm -hmm. And so this is their bathroom. Like this is a bathroom and this is why bathrooms are separated. It's to separate men from women. And because of that, because there are many possibilities of how that can go completely wrong if there's a shared bathroom amongst two sexes. Mm -hmm. And I think if you, like you were saying, if there are predatory um, intentions that you're putting these people at risk for the sake of one person mm-hmm. who you don't even know is is being honest with you 100%. like how can you how can you measure that how can you measure the honesty of somebody's uh you know 
I don't know. You can't though. You can't. <laughs> and that's the biggest problem. Like just like you said earlier, I am against the fact that like the idea of someone assuming that their little like their own little world should be accepted by everybody else and should be the default world should for be inhabited by everyone else everyone yes. needs to gravitate and inhabit that world yeah yeah sorry i hit the microphone again no, it's okay <laughs> so if you identify yourself as a unicorn don't expect me to treat you as a unicorn <laughs> because the fabric of reality is way more complex than your feelings at the moment mm -hmm. so if you're a gender fluid person if you are in other kin if you are whatever it is like don't impose that on me respectfully i will address you by what i deem to be the correct form which mm -hmm. is by your biological sex if in this case you come to me and say that you're a unicorn i will say no first and foremost you're a human being because you're talking to me right now unicorns don't usually talk to people and they don't, they even, don't exist. even exist <laughs> so so if <laughs> i'm gonna treat you as a unicorn i'm just gonna ignore you completely because and just you're, walk you're past not you. even there <laughs> you're, you're just a figment of my imagination for the first like first and for, foremost um but i'm just not gonna like i think that you abiding by these these um, ideologically possessed people who are trying to impose their world onto yours, you entertaining them and subscribing to their ideas only worsens the cause. Mm -hmm. And I started reading a book called The Parasitic Mind, and I even talked to you about it a little bit. And basically, the the author, Gad Sad, he just talks about that. He talks about how science has has been for the past maybe 10 years or for the most part in the past like five years has slowly be, been eclipsed by just social approval mm -hmm. if that makes sense so it like people care more now if the vast majority of other people are comfortable and believe in the idea that the world is round versus flat mm. to determine if the world is round or flat so they are now neglecting science and just resorting to what their neighbors think and what their inner circle believe to determine and define if the world is, in fact, flat or round. Super true. And I just think that that's not the right way to go about life. I don't think that there's any progress to be found there. I don't think so either. I And this is why I think everything needs to be taken account for. Mm -hmm. You You can't just have an idea. It's like you can't have this idea that's obviously impossible, for example, and then expect people to believe in it, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. It's like, if it's impossible, then you have to consider the the logic behind it and not just your imaginative, you know, <coughs> thinking, I guess. Yeah. And so to answering your mom's question on whether or not we think it's it's valid or if we if it's agree. Fair. Yeah, if if we agree that Fallon Fox won fair and square, I do not agree. I don't agree. I don't think so because that's a biological male. And and back to the the bathroom thing really quickly, what I do think is the solution is a co-ed bathroom. It's like a single stall that people can go into and it's available for females and males. Uh, that's my specific. That's my opinion. Yeah, like no specific gender labeled on the bathroom or, you know, it's not segregated. It's just for anyone. It's accessible to whoever. And I think that that's my opinion. That's the way to go. And that's my, yeah. But like I said before, I wouldn't mind it. But of course, you have to take into account the 
the people who may have predatory intentions and then you have to take into account everybody's feelings because it just isn't if if I'm comfortable it doesn't mean that the next three girls will be comfortable so or or vice versa too if it were the other way around if it were men and then a male to female transgender coming into the male bathroom but anyways that's that's my opinion I agree too like non-binary non-gender specific Mm -hmm. bathrooms stalls are the way to go for sure and then back to what you were saying about Fallon Fox about Fallon Fox yeah I don't think that's I think, think I think that it just creates an unfair advantage and that there were women in the MMA in the women's competition MMA who didn't have the same you know advantages you know the same head start that Fallon Fox had just yeah. based off of biology the same bone structure the right. same muscular system like, exactly well, you have to account for it you same. have to yeah. account for it and I think it would have been fair if she did compete in the men's competition mm-hmm. yeah. and I think it would have been fair and yeah. if she won that way, then then props to her. I would definitely give her the all the credit, and especially for identifying as female and being female transgendered and going into mm-hmm. a men's competition. I think that that would like I would probably tip my hat off. What do you think it is that? And this is something that that I've been thinking about for a while now too. Like, what do you think it is that nowadays everybody? Everybody seems to be looking for adversity. I feel like we live in a world where everything's just so easy and handed to you. Like everything's so quick and mm-hmm. fast. Like information's fast. Food is fast. Um, gratification is fast with social media. Everything's super quick and just easily available. It's it's delivered to your doorstep now, especially with COVID. If you want a hamburger, you don't have to put any effort. You don't have to put on your shoes, put on your pants. You, you don't have to groceries, drive. If you want if you groceries, want you just download Instacart. Uh, you just do like everything's just like that, you know, but I I honestly think that because of that, because of how easy everything has become, people are f- fishing for fishing for adversity. Mm-hmm. They're fishing for. I don't know, like, like, yeah, like they're just fishing for adversity. They're just looking for problems to solve. And if there are no problems to solve, they create issues. They create layers I, onto the fabric I of society. I think there's some truth in that for sure. What do you think? I think that people... I feel like people enjoy sometimes not having things at their disposal. So they like having a challenge that kind of forces them to have to fight for something Mm -hmm. and i think that that's what a lot of people thrive on it's like fighting for something that they stand for and i think that that can be a good thing and that it can also be a negative thing because it just like you said it just creates the like all of these problems that were probably not necessary and i'm not talking about the bigger social justice issues but i mean like even simpler things Mm-hmm. I think that people do search and fish for adversity just because of that. It's like this need to to fight for something. Yeah, yeah, because because if you think right back in the good old days when we were um, ape, just like um, not 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 apes, because I don't really believe in the linear development of evolution. I think that at one point 
it's been proven actually that there were multiple different species of humans mm -hmm. coexisting at once. And it's in the book Sapiens by, uh, I forgot his name and I'm not going to butcher his name. It's a pretty hard name to say, but highly recommend reading the book Sapiens. And they talk about that, but that's not the point I'm trying to make back then though. The whole, like the hunt was more thrilling than the feast. Mm. And I think it goes back to just basic animal instincts that we share with, the majority of other animals that we live on this planet with, It's, right? yeah, primal instinct. It's super primal. Mm -hmm. So, like, a lion, for example. A lion won't feast on an injured gazelle. Right. Because he enjoys the hunt too much to sacrifice that enjoyment of conquering the gazelle mm. that he's not going to feast on an injured Wow, an, I didn't even know that. One. They really won't, like... They will only if they're starving. Starving? Yeah. Mm, I if figured. they're starving, <laughs> they'll crazy. pivot and stuff. But a prideful lion, and that's why they're known to be prideful. Yeah. It's because they enjoy the hunt. They enjoy the challenge. Like, there's a reason why they're the king of the jungle, right? Because they can hunt and mm -hmm. they can eat. Like, they, like if you can hunt, then you will eat. If you can't, then whatever. You know, mm -hmm. like you'll just starve to death. But, so, if you just obtain things super quickly and with no effort and... Everything's just handed to you. You'll have to create difficulties along the way. You'll have to instigate wars. You'll have to instigate uh, problems with people. You'll have to go on Twitter, create a fake account to, you know, uh, start a fight with someone that you disagree with. Yeah. You'll have to go on TikTok, which we've had experience <laughs> recently Com with Comments people. of people that, that don't even have their face, like, in, yeah. in their profiles. It's like These are all typing, typing away in order to create drama in their lives. Because I think I told you a lot of the people that do that are bored or have nobody to turn to and speak with. To vent. To vent to. They yeah. have nobody. And, and you know, because of how they like. Carry how they right how they media. their demeanors through their comments on TikTok and mm -hmm. on any other social media platform. It's so crazy to me. And they're fishing for a response, I think, <laughs> a lot of times. A and, reaction. Yeah. And and there there have already been two occasions where we just handled it like extremely politely and and yet, you know, kind of I don't know. Kind of like cutthroat and just kind super of, viciously. Kind of cutthroat, yeah. but politely. Yeah, with and, class. And then they never responded. They can't respond because first of all, I don't think they expect the response and if they do respect the response they expect to like these people i think they comment already knowing what their comeback is going to be mm -hmm. but they don't realize that when they fuck with us for example like we're gonna make sure that they feel stupid mm. that they feel i don't know like outnumbered that they feel out out brained <laughs> that they feel whatever you know like we're just gonna make them feel like shit and that's just how i feel when i see those comments like the first thing i think to myself and i tell you all the times like how do I come up with a comment that's going to destroy this person's sense of self? Mm -hmm. And that's just what I love to do because and they're make, trying to do that to me. So fuck And up. then make them like kind of think about why did I even post this comment to begin with? Because now you look stupid. <laughs> like, you look exactly. stupid and you're going to have to live with that. And, and I'm going to mention it. There was somebody, we, you made a point that um, as children, we try to see how far we can go by pushing limits. Mm -hmm. And that's facts. That is factuality. That is logic. That is everything about child developmental cognition. Mm -hmm. It's what children do. It's They explore the world through um, pushing their limits. 
And so this person <laughs> had the audacity to ask, oh, do you have kids? And I responded, no. I took a developmental psychology course and I studied it like very thoroughly. And we or you specifically listen to a lot of Jordan Peterson and he speaks about it all the time. It's in his book. So anyways, I responded that like, you know, I took a course on it and you were referencing Jordan Peterson and that's all that it was. And then I I was even really nice about it. I said, we don't. And I put like a sweating laughing emoji and that was it. And then they responded back, well, when you, what did she say? She said, uh, well, have some kids and you and use those degrees or some shit like that. I can or, pull it up. Do you want me to pull it up? <laughs> I think she said uh, something about, I don't know. I think it was having a kid. Good luck having a kid with my degree or something. All right. Uh, let me just check. And there was another guy, too, which we'll get to in a second. Um, I just think it's fun to shout these people out and give them all the recognition and attention that they want and that they so desire. And at the end, we should give a shout out to to the supporters that I said I would shout out. We, we should, yeah. <laughs> just a quick one. <laughs> um, Let them know. So this person said, can you please have one and tell us how you did it with your degree? Okay. So... I'm not going to shout these people out because that's what they hunger for. You know, right. like that's what they want. Like they probably get high off of it. They probably get off on it on the, um, yeah, just us like shouting them out and giving them credit and, and more attention. But yeah. And then what we told them was, uh, thanks for the suggestion. Blank. Blank. <laughs> you don't have a name anymore. <laughs> Could have done without the passive aggressiveness. Considering your defensiveness, we assume you suck at parenting. Hello. <laughs> And that was me, by the way. And then you came in and you said, if you had any knowledge of child developmental cognition and sensory motor stage of children, you'd understand this is merely logical info factuality. And this person did not respond, of course. <laughs> not and surprising. We had another person, but it's too similar. And this other person, uh, he just said that it's uh, people with no kids always have the most to say about how to raise your kid. Just by the way he is talking, referring to me, I know he has no kids. <laughs> and to this person, yes, I do not have any kids. We at do the have moment. one kid, and one. he's a fur baby. Yeah, we have <laughs> Shadow. He's a two year old right husky. <laughs> um, and then Toddlers to are hard. Actually, he's a teenager now. Teenagers are hard too. He's what, like 14, right? Yeah. He's a preteen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, he's a teenager. Is 14, 14 considered a teenager? Yeah. Yeah, all right. 14 <laughs> anyways to this person i didn't really like whatever like i'm not gonna get into it but our point is these people crave, crave attention. attention yeah they crave problems they crave drama they wanted us to give them a reaction that was like uh you know like taken aback like showing them that we were taken aback but we just handle it with class yeah that we were like affected by it <laughs> this is we were stumbling I, with our I'm words not, like oh my god you're right uh, i don't have kids i'm sorry i should i can't yeah i can't have a kid with my degree or whatever you're yeah. right like that doesn't having having a studied child developmental um psychology won't teach me anything about children <laughs> until yeah. i have one, until you have one yeah. but See, like, that's the thing. Yeah, I don't have the experience. That is true. But I do have, and we didn't say anything about parenting in the video at all. Mm -mm. So what I do have is I do have 
information and having like observed studies of children. So that's what I have. And that's what this mother or this commenter doesn't have. Because yeah. this person, why are you even on TikTok if you have kids? Go raise your kids, <laughs> Like, bro. go raise your You're kids. wasting all this time commenting to <laughs> go, two people trying to start Commenting podcast. to two kids. Like, we're, we're just yeah. kids. Like, I feel like we're all kids in the world. We're and all kids on the inside. Yeah, we are. Mm. And I think, I just think it's so funny. I don't know. And why couldn't we have been speaking from an experience of being kids? Like, why did it have to be as if we were speaking as parents? That was my opinion, too. And that's what I, I was just like, okay, like, yeah. nobody is talking about parenting here. We're just talking about being a kid. And in the video, too, like I said, that um, he said or whatever. And then a lot of smarter people uh, commented below and said, who are you referencing? And then we said that it was Jordan yeah, yeah, Peterson Jordan, stuff. Mm-hmm. But she just assumed that I was giving people advice. You know, like, <laughs> I I am not qualified to give parenting advice. Right. Absolutely, I'm not qualified at all. And a lot of a lot of parents aren't qualified, aren't qualified to yeah. give parenting. Nobody is given a guide to parenting. Like every parenting method is, is subjective to mm-hmm. how you were raised, to your culture, to everything. It's subjective. There's there are too many factors. There's I think. too many factors, too many variables that contribute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. Speaking of kids and parenting, I think that this um, also has to do with it, uh, maybe not directly, but in the broader, bigger picture, uh, time management. Mm. I I actually got this question from a buddy of mine from Brazil. So shout out to my friend from Brazil, um, Guilherme Paternel. Uh, Guilherme in, is Portuguese, uh, Brazilian more specifically. And in English, I think it's... Um, I think it's William. Yeah, William. So Mm -hmm. shout out to William Paternella. Um, He had asked once when we were going to do the episode and we didn't end up doing it. I did a poll again and we never really got to filming. Mm -hmm. Um, His question was on time management and to talk about it and give our take on it and how do we manage our time. (laughs) And I think that that's time management has been the one crucial thing that we've both been struggling with for sure especially throughout covid they're struggling big time mm-hmm. we have a hard time distributing out we have a hard time distributing our time to doing um important things important tasks and to getting things done yeah for sure <laughs> so i think i think we have a hard time like allocating i don't think it comes down to like difficulty in allocating time because like for example when i was studying for my uh, personal trainer certification no you were um, dedicating yourself i was dedicating so i was able to allocate times yeah like hours and hours on end so um there were days when i would study for eight hours straight you Mm -hmm. know and then take um incremental uh breaks in between so i had no trouble in allocating my time my problem i think fundamentally is that i have a hard time finding a why, a reason that's heavy enough to weigh out every other decision I make throughout the day. Mm. So meaning, meaning just that, like I just have a hard time in like defining to myself, why is it valuable for Mm -hmm. me to do this task right now for an hour and why should I care? I think, yeah, and I I think the... The biggest issue with that is that even if we have a purpose, it's too broad, it's too long term and or a reason, a purpose for doing things. It's too we need to condense it. 
And that's what I said, like you need to condense it into feasible goals. So if you're just thinking about 10 years down the line, it makes it more demotivating when when it's not even if you're making progress, if your goal is too is set too long term or too much into the future and you feel like you're not making any progress towards that goal, then it demotivates you from continuing to persist towards that goal. 100%. And I think that the only way to solve it is by condensing it and and um breaking it down. Breaking it down into a day or into a week and then just building up gradually. And I think that we have set too much like high expectations and standards for ourselves ourselves when we shoot too far into the future mm-hmm. with our goals. Which is also important. Like if you're going to start working out, for you to set a goal and say like, oh, I just want to be a healthier human being. Mm-hmm. That's a legit goal. Yeah. Have, right. But it's too broad of a goal. Like you yeah, can't really like, pin down like what does it mean to you to be healthy? Like what it like what does your definition of a healthy human being mean? And a lot of people have very um uh differing opinions when it comes to a variety of different topics, obviously. So everything's very subjective. Mm-hmm. So your definition of health is different from someone else. Maybe you lack knowledge and that person has a little bit more knowledge regarding fitness and overall health. And so you, you don't really understand and you're not very um well equipped with the tools that you need to better um, hammer down your con like your concepts and your simulation of the world. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? No, it does. And that kind of goes to, <clears throat> for example, people who think that eating in a caloric deficit mm-hmm. and doing like strenuous cardio throughout the week as healthy. That's not healthy. Yeah, I don't think that it's healthy. I think that you can't just rely on on uh, low calories and and immense cardio just to be healthy, quote unquote. I think that you need to take into consideration nutrients and make sure that you are getting the proper nutrients. Yeah. And that's just an example. Yeah. No, and that's a good example because a lot of people when they try to lose weight, like that's their first go to is mm-hmm. that I'm just gonna stop eating. Yeah. And I'm just gonna up and my it's... cardio and and everything will work out. Like it could work out, but you mind you, like you're losing a lot of just dense bio uh whatever you wanna call it. Like you're just breaking your body down. Mm-hmm. Like you're not building your body up, you're breaking it down. And there is a way for you to build your body up simultaneously while cutting down on fat. Mm-hmm. while cutting down on whatever you know like you can you can develop and progress to the point that you want to get to whether it's losing fat whether it's gaining muscle you could do even both at the same time it just has to be very well thought out it, it like i recommend referring yourself to a nutritionist right. to like taking yourself to a personal trainer sitting down paying for a few lessons just so you can get the information that you need which is kind of tricky because a lot of personal trainers like their whole business model is to not hand you the whole cake all at once so Mm -hmm. they want to like start you know like luring you into the whole program and they'll you know set it up in a way and architect it in a way that the first one month or two months is just the um, initiation phase it's the warming up phase and then only on the third and fourth month do you actually get into real training and where you see real progress where you see real progress yeah but a lot of trainers like they just do that because of money Mm -hmm. so they want you to be hooked in and they want 
you to feel like they know everything and that without them, you won't be able to progress to the point that they're selling you. That's all businesses. It's all business. (laughs) Like everybody, especially now with social media and everything, like everybody's a business now. So people rarely give information for free. And that's also another reason why I like podcasting because like you could just help people out. So Mm -hmm. if like people listening to this, if they have any questions regarding personal training or physical fitness, like they could hit me up. You know, because I true. am a certified personal trainer. And I Look can help at you. you so. <laughs> so you can DM me on Instagram at Cali Lacerda and I'll respond and I'll, you know, just whatever. Or DM me on TikTok, which is where we're focusing more on. But uh, I even forgot where I was going with this. Do you remember? We were talking about time management. Oh, and then, okay. Uh, you mentioned. Oh, man. I don't even know what I was talking about anymore, guys. Like, this is the whole point of this show, too. <laughs> Mentally gone. You were talking about being informed. Being informed. And then we were talking about goals and how we have to condense them. And then you mentioned someone who's on a fitness oh, okay. journey, yeah, I yeah, guess. Yeah yeah. 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 So this goes back to time management, right? So for you to facilitate your <laughs> your or for you to better your ability to allocate time more wisely, you have to strengthen your resolve and your why. Mm-hmm. What is your why? Why did it, like why are you deciding to wake up at 5 a.m. every morning? Why are you deciding to read a book a week? Why are you deciding to hammer down those weights, run the miles, whatever the fuck it is that you're trying to do, right? If you're practicing painting, if you're practicing your, your brush strokes, like it doesn't matter. But you have to figure out what the ultimate why is. And the ultimate why can't be as broad as you said. Like, mm-hmm. for example, like it can't be too broad. I want to be, be the next Leonardo da Vinci. First of all, I'm you, a can't. Painter. you can't. You can't. You can't. You because can't, the but... next Leonardo da Vinci already <laughs> happened. You will never be the next Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci. That's funny. <laughs> and that actually leads me into another thing that I found interesting. So recently I've been on a Peter... Th- uh teal kick kind of um he was one of the first investors in facebook and just brushing on this real quick because he said something really important that i that has stuck with me for a very long time he said that in today's society everybody is aspiring and it and this could be like individuals it could be personal brands it could be um big businesses it could be small businesses it doesn't matter everybody aspires to go from uh, from one to n, and n being any number bigger than one. Mm. So what does <laughs> so what does that mean, right? Let's say that you want to create the next big thing, and you come to me and you say, "I'm gonna create the best water company you've ever seen, mm-hmm. and we're gonna make the best water. It's gonna be better than Fiji. It's gonna be better than Poland Springs. It's gonna be better. It's gonna be the best, right?" <laughs> You better than Fiji and Poland Springs. <laughs> Poland Springs, that's Doesn't really hard. Exist. That's that's really maybe hard. Voss is up there. That's about maybe it. Voss, yeah. <laughs> but my point is, like you, like it doesn't matter if you're gonna start this water company. The fact that you're already um, comparing yourself to these already consolidated brands, whatever you tell me that it's going to set you apart or differentiate you, automatically deters me from believing that you are going to innovate anything because mm-hmm. all that's going to differ is probably your messaging your bottle format design your logo design your logo design and maybe the amount of um, minerals you put in your water 
the, that whatever they put how in the water to make it taste. How much difference can you make it? Yeah, like how much difference? So you're going from one to n. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter if n, like if you're on the scale, maybe you're at five, maybe you're at fifty. It doesn't matter. So what he says is like the bit, the best companies that have ever existed went from zero to one. Mm. So Facebook did something that didn't exist before, right? MySpace was a thing, sure. But Facebook did something where MySpace had the opportunity to do and never did. Mm. And then Tesla, same thing. A lot of these bigger companies had the opportunity to go into electric cars to, to dominate that space. They had the resources. They could have and all And now became, they are. And now they are because one individual, the underdog, set a new path mm-hmm. through strenuous and arduous, like, efforts he managed to single-handedly and i say single-handedly very lightly because he has a whole team behind him um to pave that way and that's like like i I just like i just wanted to put that out there because i think that that's a very powerful message like the simple concept of going from zero to one versus going from one to n Mm -hmm. and peter Thiel has another book um called zero to one and i say another book because because of the first one that I referenced. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sapiens and Peter Thiel's book, Zero to One, I also recommend uh, for anyone out there who's trying to, quote unquote, innovate and create something new and grandiose and try mm. to be the next big thing. But he also says in, um, in his book that the next Mark Zuckerberg will never exist because there is no such thing. <laughs> Leonardo da Vinci. <laughs> Leonardo da Vinci and Bill Gates and whatever the fuck. So what are your um, thoughts on time management and how do you think that we can better... I don't know, like, how do you approach time management now? Or how are you trying to better? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. To your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So I think that we still haven't. I don't think anyone has it figured out. I don't think everyone. I don't think. Sorry, I don't think anyone has. Uh, you know what? I do think there are people who have it figured out, but it took years of discipline and and practicing and and ritually living through a schedule and managing their time in a productive way. And I think that right now we're at a point where we're still trying to navigate and figure it out because we did just mesh two individual lives together, so yours and mine. And I think that that kind of um kind of overthrew our individual schedules, I guess, what we're used to doing in our days. And then we kind of have to conform in a way where it just um, meshes well together yeah. in, a, in a way that it just flows together nicely, where they just come together. Even if we don't, we're not doing the same things at the same time, we're still, you know, in our own schedules and they align in some way. Yeah. And I think that the best way to approach it is by starting with one day, which we try. You start with one day, and then I think that you need to... um, I always thought that reward systems are effective. So giving yourself a reward for 
keeping yourself disciplined for a certain amount of time is necessary in order to, you know, continue to proceed in doing it. It's positive reinforcement. Right, positive reinforcement. And so I think that the best thing to do is start with a week. And it's like this week you woke up at five in the morning and you went to the gym in the morning. And then, but I, I think the way to manage it is if you missed out on waking up at five in the morning, don't do the task that you gave yourself at five in the morning. Continue mm. with that next task that you had planned at the time that you got out of bed. So if you had planned eight o'clock that you're going to do groceries, that's it. You missed out on going to the gym. And now at eight o'clock, you're going to go do groceries mm -hmm. and you're going to feel like shit for not doing that task that you had planned at five in the morning. It's like missing a test, for example. If it's scheduled at a time and you miss it, that's it. You missed your window. Mm -hmm. And then you, the only way that you can retake it is by asking the professor to retake it another day if they permit you. And so I think that that's the best. Like, that also helps. It's like, if you miss it, then you feel horrible for missing it by losing out on what you had planned mm -hmm. in that time window. And it kind of disrupts the flow. Of the yeah. And then you're yeah. like, and then you're like, wow, like I didn't get to, you know, do this at this time because I woke up at this time or because I got sidetracked and I did this. And then and then you start to kind of, I don't know, those feelings start to, you know, harbor themselves within you. And then you you force yourself to make those necessary changes, even if small, even if it's like one thing at a time. Mm hmm. And that's also important is like, don't set out too many objectives for yourself throughout the day. Start with one objective. And Jordan Peterson says this, focus on one thing and put your all into it. And then once you're done with that one thing, you'll be great. Yeah. Because then you could do a second thing and put your all into it and then you could be great. Mm -hmm. And that's that's how I would probably go about it. And <laughs> we're still practicing that. No, for sure. We're still struggling with it. <laughs> but... I also agree with that a thousand percent. And I also agree with the idea of doing the small things well, because I think that the small things and how you do, for example, how do you make your bed in mm -hmm. the morning? Like that defines, it says a lot about who you are as a person and how you tackle uh, bigger tasks throughout your day and bigger tasks in life. And there was actually a study done and I can't really uh, reference the study because I, I read it a long time ago, but basically they got a bunch of people and they made them play i think it was monopoly mm -hmm. and they set it out like set it out in the way where cheating was a possibility and it would be positively <laughs> reinforced by the prize money that the um scientists or the people running the study were offering mm -hmm. right so if you cheated and cheated was positively available and made available made available for you you would win the prize or you could play by the rules and still like it would be a little bit harder and you could risk the, the um, possibility of losing because someone else could cheat and then win mm. does that make sense yeah no it does so what happened was the people who cheated in this game of monopoly they found that those actions kind of um represented a bulk of their lives as well like these people were mm. people who uh maybe had gotten divorced a few times wow. um, because of cheating reasons um uh, they were more inclined to cheat on their spouse to cheat at work to 
uh, try take to, shortcuts in take life. Take shortcuts through mm. life in general. Yeah. So it's like it's always how you do the small things. And there's even another book, and I'm just referencing a lot of books today. But there's you another read book. a lot. <laughs> I read a lot. There's another book called um, Make Your Bed. And I believe that's the title. And it talks about just that. It talks about how the small things translate and, you know, bleed into the bigger things in life. And that's how you paint the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. It's by like sections, you know, like people, people don't set out to paint the, the next Mona Lisa. Like they set like Leonardo probably set out to, well, he's different. He, he, he probably did set out to like paint a masterpiece because that's just how he worked. But he like even him, he'll start with painting the best tree he can behind Mona Lisa, like the best landscape possible. Mm -hmm. Like he'll like focus on layers. So you have to take it small and you have to give give attention to the minimal uh, details of each section, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think both of uh, the things that you referenced are talking about whether you're meticulous or whether you're lazy. Mm -hmm. So that's what persistence is that's what being detailed is it's like it <clears throat> distinguishes between whether you're a lazy person whether you take shortcuts whether you half-ass things or whether you're meticulous and you make sure that it, when you do something you do it correctly and you do it with you know completely investing yourself into that mm -hmm. and i yeah that's <laughs> and i think it's way more rewarding when you know that you've taken the harder path and this goes full circle yes. with what you were saying about effort and, and about yeah that made me think sorry that made me think about a question that we asked each other long ago mm. would you rather be uh born a millionaire or born a poor person and would you rather be born poor and content or a millionaire miserable i think i asked we asked yeah. each other that and then we said that well, if we're poor, we can climb our way to being millionaires. And then it's it's even more rewarding to have the the wealth that we have. And we can be content because we we aren't just these, you know, miserable, rich people who, you know, are mm. isolated and, you know. But yeah, anyways, that's all I wanted to say. That just made me think of that for some thought, reason. No, yeah. And. And to your point, I think not only would it be better because you can aspire from like, for example, if you start dirt poor and then you, um, I think that, I don't know, like I, I think that if you start dirt poor and you do reach a millionaire status, for example, or you become a millionaire, you will value every single thing that much more because you've witnessed the different levels of the hierarchy. Of, mm -hmm. of the economic social ladder and if you're born into wealth which is a common occurrence and it's a common um, denominator if you look at kids who come from very rich parents you know and they're born into this silver spoon environment they never really had to struggle for anything they never really had to work towards anything mm -hmm. so these kids are the kids that look outwardly for answers because they were never um taught by their parents to instill within themselves this grit and this resolve and this ambition and this like all mm -hmm. these characteristics which i think are innately human and they have to be present in people who want to contribute to the broader um the broader world the like broader society mm -hmm. because i don't think rich kids who are born rich really have anything to contribute to society other than just spending their money 
on Ferraris and Rolls Royces and drugs and just girls and, and being stuff. weirdos and being weirdos. Yeah, <laughs> I think they're the weirdos. Yeah. Anyways, um, yeah, I don't know. I think, um, I think, I think that that's true. I think that if you are privileged into a life where you have, you know, everything kind of handed to you, you don't really. Um, you're in a comfort zone, mm-hmm. so you don't ever get out of that comfort zone, and it doesn't challenge you to to do anything more, if that makes sense. It does. It's just like you, your parents can pay your way through Harvard. They could pay you into Harvard, and then you, you know, whatever. It's super, everything just comes easy. So I don't know. I think, I think it's just. Do you think it, like it came do you think it came easy for Drake? Uh, see, I don't know the extent of Drake's childhood. Okay, so I'll tell you what I know. Okay, from go. what he said in from interviews, your, right? His biggest fan. Yeah, biggest his fan. Biggest fan. He's my spirit animal, low key. But uh, he grew up in a suburban, middle class Jewish community in Canada. Mm-hmm. His mother is Caucasian. Jewish and his father is black. Mm-hmm. And so he comes from a mixed marriage, right? Mixed race marriage. And with that comes the struggles, right? That 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 um derive from the idea of being a mixed colored person, mm-hmm. right? Because there's and this has been widely um communicated and conveyed by other artists like Logic, for example. Logic talks about being half white, half black. Um, and how much that has had an impact on his life. And Logic is often hated for being repetitive in that nature, right? Mm. On that topic and just talking about it, regurgitating it on every track. And he's even done like meta tracks where he talks about how much people hate that he talks about it. So he's going to talk about even more on this song. But my point is he comes from a place where from the outside looking in, and in comparison to like other artists, like maybe a Kendrick who comes from, you know, Compton and who grew of like grew up around gang violence and was affiliated and had to really learn the rules of the jungle mm-hmm. growing up. And rap became his only outlet, became his only way out of the hood, you know, and that's the case for a lot of rappers. Drake was an actor on Degrassi. Mm-hmm. Drake As a was. Teenager well-educated. He um, seemed like a guy who was very articulate. Like, he was just a guy who didn't seem like he was struggling, right? And that's, Mm. again, looking from the outside in, and I'm not a hater. Surface level. Surface level, Mm -hmm. yeah. So I wouldn't say that Drake is this, like, presents the same level of struggle. Like, his aura, to me, isn't of a person who went through shit. Mm. There's a person who maybe had more shit handed to him than not. And that's just my opinion. So what's your thought? Like, what are your thoughts? No, I I completely agree. And I think that uh, people made that argument for the whole, like, Pusha T and Drake debate. Mm -hmm. Because they were like, well, Drake can't speak on what it's like growing up in the streets because he didn't. And that's Pusha T, like, growing up in the streets, being a drug dealer and... A lot of rappers growing up in the streets, like that's what they all share in common. And then Drake is just this outcast because he was, you know, 
like you said, born into a better foundation in terms of family, in terms of, uh, you know, having himself kind of nerfed from the world yeah kind of. kind of like secure in life cushioned yeah cushioned versus what you said about kendrick like if you listen to good kid mad city from start to finish it's a whole story it starts with him being a like uh you know getting into trouble with his friends and his mom's calling him and leaves a voicemail and it's like oh don't tell me you're hanging out with those you know whatever and then the whole thing and then one of his friends ends up dying and i think that that's a struggle that maybe someone like drake didn't face but i don't think that we can disregard different types of struggles because drake is someone who acknowledges like personal life struggles like his parents divorce which to him might have been something very severe mm -hmm. whereas like for these street rappers it was losing a friend to gang violence yeah and then I think that that's just like a difference, and you 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 can't compare it, and you can't compare it in terms of like severity mm -hmm, because it's, it, very it's subjective, right? Yeah. It's, something could be severe to one person versus another, and then I don't know. Why do you think that in music there's this um, there's a stronger criticism towards an artist who, for example, Drake, right, who does not come from a very uh, gang affiliated background you know the hood the streets like the, the struggle selling uh -huh. crack on the uh corners or whatever why do you think that in music specifically there's a bigger discrimination towards artists like that who put out great music who maybe they tell narratives that aren't necessarily theirs because drake has a few songs where he you know spits in a way where he sounds like a guy who went through shit mm. but everybody in reality just knows that that's just aubrey being drake you mm -hmm. know like that's the that's the recurring um, amusement of Drake and the recurring, I don't know, like like people get a laugh out like of it. Like the laughing stock. Yeah. Kinda. And he even addresses it in his music. Mm -hmm. He says that he doesn't really like that. And so I think that that forced him into this corner or down this route where now he's just dark, mysterious, has aggressive to, Drake. has to put on like this hard portrayal of himself. Persona. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my question is, why is that any different from, let's say, a Stephen King, right? Mm -hmm. Who uh, writes all these fantastic novels that are all fictitious, that do not involve him and... They're just characters that he created in his head and narratives and story arcs mm. and storylines in his head. And yet he's praised for all of these narratives and these expressions that he has created versus a music artist who specifically a rapper who, let's say they create a narrative and story arcs, a personality, a Drake, for example, even though his name is Aubrey Drake Graham. Mm -hmm. uh, is is that is that his name? Aubrey it has Drake, Drake in it? Graham. I, <laughs> I think even, so. I didn't even know he had Drake in his I, I name. I thought does. does he? I thought Drake was just like made up. Well, let me Google that. I always quick. wondered where the name Drake came from. I'm pretty from. sure it's Aubrey Graham Drake. Drake is his last name? No. Aubrey Drake Graham, is that his name? Wait. Uh, Aubrey Drake Graham, yeah. Oh, it's his middle name. Yeah, okay. It's his middle name. But, <laughs> that makes sense. But now. either way, though, I think that the route that he has taken, for example, if you compare him to the Lil Wayne days, right? Mm -hmm. To the um, Young Money era, he sounded a lot like Lil Wayne. Like he was. <laughs> He's literally a chameleon when it comes uh, to replica. just, yeah, like he just, not even a replica, like he takes stuff and he makes it his own. But at the same time, you can 
clearly tell where his references are mm, from, like mm-hmm. what his references are. So if you look at a Young Money era, like he sounded exactly like Lil Wayne. Like I would be surprised. Like there are some songs that we've re-listened to where we're just listening. We're like, is that Lil Wayne or like, Drake? Like all you have to do is change the voice. Yeah, and just like tone <laughs> it up or down a little bit. Do and you boom, have Lil you, Wayne you, or you have Drake? Like, you match it, exactly. So now he's at, like at this place and we got into a little, not argument, but we got into a discussion um, just just the other day about whether or not you and I think that Drake is smart enough and mis- m- uh, mischievous enough. Is that a yeah, word? Yeah, yeah. Like- mischievous, calculative enough to have developed this, like, this whole mysterious and dark Drake Scorpion persona himself and this whole marketing Or play. was it his team behind or him that helped him? Or was it his team behind him, him? yeah. I think... I think it was both. <laughs> and you think you, you're giving Drake a little more credit. I'm giving Drake a little bit more credit, and I'll tell you why. Okay. Because he's a Scorpio. <laughs> right? <laughs> just says nothing. Listen, 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 listen. From a, guy, from a guy who thinks horoscopes are bullshit, Drake is the only exception that makes me reconsider that. <laughs> because Drake's music, like, I'm not even, like, fucking around here. Like, I'll listen to his music, and... I can just, I feel like I can just resonate with his mentality, with his demeanor, mm. with his resolve. Like, I'm not even putting myself on a pedestal by associating myself to Drake because, like, that's a that thing now because like Drake's him. a superstar. Yeah, like, he's like, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to, like, do that, but I just really resonate and relate to his music and to his overall demeanor, the way that he addresses um, conflict, the way that he addresses beef, the way that he just, um, I don't know that that he just carries himself, right? There's this like mysterious aura around him, which is a common misconception, I think, mm. regarding Scorpios, right? That we're this mysterious um, uh, Machiavellian evil beings who are here to wreak destruction and dominate the world and screw you over and get whatever we want by any means. That's excessive. <laughs> right? Like that's what exactly like it's a misconception. I think it's just um very animated like it's this animated idea of what it is to be a scorpio and from speaking as a scorpio born on october 31st on halloween the day of the devil (laughs) i do think that there's a little bit truth when it comes to just the aura the way that we carry ourselves and you know what that's true and i'm a rising scorpio (laughs) i don't know if that says like means nothing it does it does because I know because I have the same petty mm-hmm. and I have the same petty, like vengeful nature yeah. as I feel like Drake and you might have. Mm-hmm. It's like this, this like, I don't know. Need to destroy someone completely. Yeah, it's like having to, I don't know, just just overpower the entire world. Yeah. This, it's really, it's funny. <laughs> it's, no, but... Again, like, don't you think that that's a little bit of a justification as to why? Because don't you think that Drake reads? Like, do you think that Drake really just stays at home or just parties all the time? I think Drake is super intellectually inclined. No, I think. Because he's a really smart guy. I think. He comes off like that. I think he is, too. And I I could tell by, like, just just the way that he speaks in interviews. Mm -hmm. And he. he expresses himself a lot and i think um even then he's very um 
cautious about what like how he expresses himself versus Kanye, who's just like outwardly impulsive. sporadic and impulsive with yeah. his expression. Yeah. But Drake is very like, you know, um calculative. Yeah. And I and I do give him credit for that. I don't know about like his intellectual level. I can't tell you because I don't know Drake Me personally. Uh, I do think that every artist has a team behind them. Oh, for sure. And that this team helps you create this persona and image that you're building. Even if maybe it was his idea or he started it and then they were like, okay, and then it's and then they strengthened it. I think every artist has a team. Yeah. And they help them keep this image intact or help them build this image. Like just an FYI, the album yay by kanye had more than 13 writers on it mm -hmm. and they painted him out to be this bipolar person that the world yeah. like knows him to be or views him to be and he's talking about like i thought about killing myself today and like so best believe i thought about killing you and it's like but he wasn't the sole writer like he has a whole team that's like yep like giving thumbs up and you know encouraging it and probably like uh exaggerating it even more to create this character because at the end of the day like i feel like that's what a lot of artists are they're just they're just these puppets isn't that crazy though it, yeah i it is and then that goes to like for example someone like britney spears with the whole documentary that came out i didn't watch it but i know that a lot of people you know uh finally understand the imprisonment that she's like in mm -hmm. Because, you know, she's just like she has no freedom. And a lot of artists, I think, I think to an extent they do. And then to an extent they don't, mm -hmm. because there's just a bunch of other stuff that happens behind the scenes. But to me, like that makes no sense. <laughs> it makes no sense because for a lot of reasons, but for the main reason, I think is just isn't being an artist all about expressing yourself mm. and just expressing the full extent of yourself. Yeah. So why would I get writers to help me create an album that has my name behind it? And that's mm. a piece, like it's a body of work that I'm just disseminating to the world. No, like, I, 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 I get what you mean. I think. I do have a theory about it though. Go. <laughs> I think that it might be because of this, like, Kanye, like his first few albums, I don't think he had, maybe he had like one or two writers for like a verse or two, like mm -hmm. maybe that, maybe maybe someone spit something dope at a studio and then he just, you know, like um, bought it off of them or bought the rights and just, you know, like made a deal, a handshake deal, whatever it is, a verbal deal, a written one, it doesn't matter. But his first albums, I think he put a lot more effort into making them his. Mm. And I think that the moment he gets signed and he becomes this this larger-than-life character and the superstar, I think that it's very easy for you to be demotivated and for you to lose motivation when it comes mm. to producing bodies of work. So then you're just so desensitized to wealth, to um, just being at the top of the food chain that when your label sends you an email or gives you a call and says, hey, like, uh, we need another album mm -hmm. by next week or by next month or this year we need at least two like pieces of you know bodies of work, and you're just at that point where you're just not creatively inclined anymore because there's no struggle. And mm. I think that creativity goes hand in hand with struggle. 
So I, so I think that that's when the artists kind of panic and then they're like, oh, like I need to, you know, give this label a full album. So I'm going to mm. just like hire these other writers who have written for these rappers and these singers and whatever. And then just put them in the credits and put them somewhere where people that's won't true. really read, you know. And yeah, like that's what I think it is. It's just reaching the top and then just not knowing how and or why to be that person that you were that feeling stagnant yeah. yeah stuck i think um i think that they do still self-express to an extent mm -hmm. but i also think that what you're saying is true and i think that's why and and this just like connected in my head that's why every artist rapper singer they reference their struggles a lot they reference their pain a lot because they already like, OK, so they're already kind of uh, secure in life in terms of financial means. So they're secure. So all they have to really talk about or to share with the world is their struggles. Yeah. Is their pain because because there's also the misconception that, you know, they're well off and that they're living it up. And then I think that. The only way they can, you know, kind of keep people intrigued, I guess, or keep people like tuned in is by expressing the struggles. And then I think the team encourages that. Yeah. It's like, oh, talk about the death of, you know, whatever, you know. Mental health. Yeah. Like talk about yeah. you, you know, your mental health and talk about the bipolar disorder you have that people are, you know. Yeah, a uh, lot of people commenting from. yeah that people are commenting about that you have and stuff and then kanye's like that's my superpower like ain't no disability like i'm mm -hmm. you know i'm a superhuman <laughs> like yeah. his bipolar disorder and yeah. i think that that like there's a team behind you that's like encouraging that because i don't know i think that someone like for example there's rihanna right she stopped making music and it's probably because now she's doing the makeup line and Fendi. she's doing yeah the lingerie and she doesn't have anything to express in her music anymore mm. because maybe she just either doesn't want to share or just is or maybe she just doesn't feel the need to anymore yeah that's true that's yeah. true too I think it comes down to relatability too, like big time. Mm. I think it's about, and as you were speaking, like you, like you just touched on something that makes a lot of sense to me. And the the first thing that came to my head was um, J Cole's "For Your Eyes Only." Mm. So J Cole, right? Like he produced that out. Well, well, he didn't produce that album. He put that album out during a time of heightened tension uh between the black and the white community, right? Like mm -hmm. like black people are obviously like have historically been um under scrutiny by the world i think you know mm -hmm. like, and j cole like he came out and he put this body of work that addressed that scrutiny and that injustice mm -hmm. you know that's prevalent and that's you know e like even more louder now you know through everything that happened recently with the black lives matter movement um my point is i think that these artists even though J. Cole produced an amazing album, I think For Your Eyes Only was incredible. It's not an album that you're going to bump in your car on mm -hmm. repeat, but it, like as a full body of work, it, like from start to finish, it's amazing. It's great. It's one of my favorite J. Cole um, pieces, body of work, whatever you want to call it, albums. But my point is artists that, that get to this level of fame and success, they often resort to outward 
things to address in their music. Mm. Meaning he doesn't have any personal struggles that are relatable. And maybe he does, but he doesn't have any significant ones that will get him and garner him a significant level of success mm. that is significant enough and relatable enough to the general populace to grant him that accomplishment. So what they do is they look at society and then they see like, what is everybody mad about and what can I make art to address that one thing that everybody's mad about? And then that's why I think a lot of artists do that. And then Kanye's angle was super smart because he went like he still remained inside himself, but he went to his head. So then he thought like, oh, like I have bipolar, I have depression. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have that, so it's relatable. That's and so true. And he makes true. a whole body of work about that because you can't listen. You can't make an album talking about how much it sucks when you uh, wake up in the morning and your chef calls out sick and then you have to cook your own (laughs) breakfast and stuff you can't talk about how some days you just get stressed because your fiance took the ferrari and you really (laughs) wanted to use the ferrari to go to your friend's house and then now you have to come back and and swap out and get the range rover instead and then you have to like you can't talk about those struggles because that's not a struggle you know like that's just and i think and and i think that that's like that's another thing is like these people can't talk about their, you know, their complications in their life if it's if it seems too minimal to the mass majority of people who are not wealthy because then it's like, oh, boo-hoo, like, all right, so you, you know, your Ferrari, you know, got destroyed or whatever. Like, what about all these people starving, you yeah. know? And I think that that's interesting because J. Cole always references how he feels like he like got out of it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's how he relates his struggle. He said, uh, if I'm quoting this correctly, I feel like I'm a slave who uh, got enough coins to buy my way up out of slavery. That's what he said. Mm. He said that on Snow on the Bluff? Snow on the Bluff, I think. Yeah, yeah that the new one that came out uh, last year, 2020. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that that was super interesting because he always references how, he, especially in like Love Yours, like there's no such thing as a life that's better than yours. And like, I uh, think being broke was better. And like, I don't mean that phrase with no disrespect. And, you know, mm-hmm. and I think he's always referencing that because his struggle is knowing that this community is suffering. And like you said, it makes it relatable because they're like, okay, you acknowledge that this exists. And they're like, okay. Uh, and then he just gives it like a new perspective. It's like, all right, I'm here, but I don't feel good about it because I'm still acknowledging you and where you're at and Mm -hmm. i'm i still want to fight for your struggles and your rights if that makes sense so that's how he makes his music more relatable too it's like yeah even though you know i'm i'm well off financially and i'm wealthy he even talks about how i'm like paying taxes and stuff which is so much something yeah and then it's like even though I'm here on this side of the spectrum of financial like security, income and yeah. security and you're here like we're one in the same because I was there and mm-hmm. now I'm here and I and I don't feel good about it because I acknowledge that you're still there and I don't want you to be there mm-hmm. if that makes sense. I think that the brilliance behind J Cole is exactly what you said is that he he was very careful to not um go like how do I say this? He made, he was cautious to not put himself on a pedestal mm. 
because I think it's just basic human nature to over like to have this need to come together and overthrow the king because we've lived through like thousands of years of that type of democracy, right? Mm-hmm. Quote unquote of that type of society, of society where one percent of society, a small group would just um, exercise wealth and mm-hmm. they, and they would just, you know, demonstrate and put wealth on a, on how do I say this? Exhibit wealth, right? Mm-hmm. They were like the noblemen. Noblemen, the king, mm-hmm. you know, like they they would throw extravagant parties uh, and while the common folk were probably starving to death, you mm-hmm. know? And then what J. Cole did was he, uh, like, maintained that connection with the masses and he grew into who he is now, which is, in my opinion, one of the greatest artists alive, uh, rappers probably alive. Probably the best. Pro- probably the best when <laughs> it comes my. to storytelling and making you feel something. But he sustained that connection with his roots in in producing songs, like you said, Love Yours, in talking about, you know, taxes, um, addressing injustice in society, addressing his own guilt for arriving where he did and then looking back and having survivor's guilt, which is what a lot of artists and a lot of successful people feel is that when they climb out of the slumps, they climb out of their neighborhood, out, like out of their hood, and then they look back and all these people are kind of opening their arms and just questioning, hey, like, how about us? And they can't really do anything about it because if they try to help every single person and make them all happy, they'll ultimately fuck themselves and, you know, their inner circle, their family members. So they can't do both. Like, you can't save the world and save yourself, I think. And that's why when you're on an airplane, they say, you know, um, use the oxygen mask on yourself first before assisting the person next to you. If there's a child, if there's an elderly person, it doesn't matter. Assist yourself first because you can't help anyone if you don't have any oxygen. Mm. And I think J. Cole was brilliant in that. Like, he did not put himself... He did not produce music about Ferraris, Lamborghinis. He always stayed in touch with his core demographic, his core, like the core group of people who got him to the point he got, he sustained that mindset. So it's always been just a dollar in a dream. It will always be Dreamville. It will always be referencing his roots, his core values, and just how he was raised and what he aspired to accomplish in society it's just a, a dream that it's he still yeah that he like uh that he kind of like um made it to if kind, that makes sense oh, yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. The, it was it it was just a dream and then he it was all a dream yeah, yeah. and he made it yeah and it he made it to it mm-hmm. and then that's that's why he references dreaming a lot like it's like this you know it's it's almost as if he's like lucid dreaming. He's like dreaming yeah. with his eyes open. Mm-hmm. And also he also expresses a lot of how he, like things aren't as things aren't what he expected. And I think that that's a common sentiment with everybody who gets to a point where they think it's mm-hmm. going to be like glitz and glamour. It's going to be perfect. I'm finally going to be happy. And then he got to the top. And I think that that's why the album cover for Soul Drive is him sitting on top of his childhood home his childhood home like he's on top of the world but at the same time he's clearly dissatisfied like he like he doesn't feel like this is what he wanted you or know? this is who he is like or it's the, not yeah. this like this he feels like a whole different person now yeah and then his um album uh what's it called the one um i always forget the name i think it's called voluminati 
Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that album to me is one of my other favorite albums because in that one, he deliberately took Are a jab. Born Sinner? Born Sinner. Oh, my <laughs> like, God. See, that's like, one of the songs on it. And I was Born, like, yeah, I yeah, forgot yeah. too. It is Born Sinner. Illuminati. <laughs> Born Sinner. That's how big of a fan we are of J. Cole. <laughs> Uh, but we are huge fans, just that we both have Alzheimer's. But anyways, that album was a an aggressive jab towards the established and grandfathered radio industry, like how things are done. Mm. So he talks about letting Nas down. He talks about how he felt that he let the whole world down because he had to comply with the standards that came way before him. And people need to understand that if you want to instill change, It'll take a lot of time. And he says it himself in one of his songs, um, High for Hours. He says that mm-hmm. he went to the to the um, President uh, Obama at the time and he went to the White House and he sat in a room and then he raised his hand to ask a question and said that um, if Obama was aware of all the change and all the oppression that was being... Um, that was happening. That was happening all around him. Mm-hmm. Like, why wasn't he helping the brothers out? And then, and then Obama said, change is um, slow and always has been. And then you have to keep it pushing to accomplish anything. And so, like, that's just an example. It's like he is very aware. He's self-aware. And that's why I really fuck with J. Cole. Like, he's self-aware to the T. And he knows and he has made pop music. He has made love music. He has made those songs. Mm -hmm. And he has admitted that he hates those songs. Because they were not a representation of who he is now. And they weren't a representation of who he really was at the time. They Mm. were just these personas that the industry required for you to make it and break it through radio. For you to become a household name, you have to kind of, you know, um, go through those, I guess, notions. Yeah. yeah. And I think he's at a point now, though, where he is like all of the things that he releases now are super sincere. Yeah. They're super like deep, and I don't know. I think that just sets them apart from a lot of other artists. I, I'd put him like up there with like Kendrick and you know Jay Z for sure, and easily. J Cole is easily. I think he slept on a lot too. I think so too. Yeah, his music is crazy. His mm-hmm. like what he has to say is so relevant and so like mm-hmm. like heavy. It's I don't know. I think it's. And I've said this before, and I think I still stand behind it because I believe that people change over time and the things that you resonate with at one moment in your life will inevitably change throughout the, you know, like as you progress through the stages of your life. Um, I have said in the past that Forest Hills Drive is the soundtrack to my life. If I would Mm. ever make like a movie or a documentary, I view my life being like in the background, just that song playing. Because, like, that's just a very, like, it's just an album, that song. It's just an album that I just really resonate with, like, on a spiritual level. Like, it makes me, it's crazy to me. It's 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 emotionally packed. Yeah. And speaking of emotionally packed, before, you know, we end the episode, I don't know how far in we are. I I was about to tell you, like, (laughs) I was trying to end it right there, but yeah. yeah. Uh, I was going to talk about life lessons. Mm Mm-hmm. And I wanted to just touch on how I think our biggest teacher in life is pain, because I think that that's a recurring theme that we were talking about throughout this podcast is like pain. It's just um, and I think that pain is the most influential teacher because it exposes the vulnerabilities and weaknesses that we have. I really and and I think that there is no other lesson 
that we absorb better than the lessons that we suffer through and the lessons that are hard to mm -hmm. like take on, if that makes sense. Makes complete sense. <laughs> and I think that we could end it right there. So, no, so you're not going to say that. anything. <laughs> no, 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 I'm kidding. But <laughs> I agree. No, and and I think that when like when we met too, and even before meeting you, I think that people can listen back to like Fibercast episodes. And I've always been like an advocate for that. I've always been huge on the idea of pain and sitting in it. And I think we even talked about this once. I don't know if we did. But about like sitting in pain and just speaking with your demons. No, just, you like, told me that all it. the time. You yeah, say and just, it's important that I do because, you know, I have my yeah. my pain to, mm -hmm. to overcome. And I think that it just like you just see it in people. Like mm. people who have gone through shit, they have a different demeanor. Like like they just present themselves in the world in just a different way. Like you can't fake it. You know, I think that pain is the ultimate um predecessor of true experience in life i think you know like you can't be an experienced person if you haven't undergone different levels of pain mm. and the more pain that you feel the more pain that you acknowledge and recognize and learn to acknowledge the more just i don't know like the the the, the better of a person you inevitably become in my opinion it forces you to grow yeah, it forces you to change your perception of something because I think that before a painful lesson, you're kind of ignorant to an extent, and then once you once that lesson is like kind of forced upon you and it's just thrown at you, that you have no other choice but to change that yeah. perspective. It's like, for example, the loss of a loved one. Mm -hmm. You're forced to realize how much you you neglected. You know the the time you spent with them, for example, mm -hmm. and you didn't, you know, allocate enough attention to them and then now they're gone and then you have to sit with that. Yeah. And so it's like it I think pain and those like painful lessons force you into remorse, it forces you into regret, it forces you into humiliation, it forces you into like just rock bottom until you the only way out is growing. It's growth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and no one can help you in that like in that stage of life and i i think that life like in general schools don't teach you that like mm -hmm. everything's very theoretical so you can read about how to cope with pain in books you, you can get like the best author jordan peterson gets to teach us and he has mm -hmm. how to cope with pain suffering resentment tragedy everything but you can't instill in a person the um ability to withstand a certain amount of pain or to help them strengthen their threshold improve that their threshold for pain like how much pain can you endure mm -hmm. before you break down you know like a lot of people like if you tell them a no they start crying they start sobbing they break down on the floor a lot of other people if you just completely strip everything away from them their first instinct is to all right so how do i rebuild this mm -hmm. you know because i had it now i lost it whatever and those are the strongest people i think That's on this you. planet that's <laughs> no. you I was gonna say that those are the strongest people on this planet but now you said it's me and now I can't really say that because it it's just an ego boost no it is you no that's your opinion okay that's just her opinion I disagree <laughs> but anyways those are the strongest people on the planet are just the people who are able to pivot and just pivot and like everything 
like they don't need a like a certain level of stability. Mm. They don't need consistency. And if they find consistency, great. It's a cherry on top. Like it's a great little treat. But if they don't, they're okay with it because they create their own consistency. Like they're consistent with themselves, their vision, their moral, ethical values. Everything is aligned and stays aligned, even if the world is crumbling and burning to the ground. Wow. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Okay. So, and now we end it there. So uh, do you want to end that. it there? Okay. <laughs> sit so, with the- so we're going to end with that. Uh, sit with everything we said. Uh, so I just want to say this real quick. Uh, the whole concept of this episode, or not just this episode of this show, is to just be able to speak our minds. There will be days when, for example, today, if I'm being honest, I feel kind of sluggish mentally. Like I feel like my ideas aren't coming as easily as they seamlessly but i think seamlessly as they normally do but that's just because maybe i'm just feeling kind of uh like brain fog or whatever and i'm and i've been lifting pretty heavy recently too Mm -hmm. and i think that my body just feels exhausted honestly Mm, yeah and it's and it's kind of getting late signaling it's it's signaling to you that yeah it's like uh, like my my mental energy has you know gone but hopefully there's some uh value in this episode hopefully i wasn't as cringy as i think i am right now in my head i think i've i was pretty cringy throughout this whole episode Mm-mm. uh but yeah so the whole idea of this show mentally gone just to talk and get whatever we have on our mind on our chest out on the table and out into the world and share our perspectives again don't take anything too seriously i, I think that's the whole point of this too is to approach life in a lighthearted fashion manner manner, Mm -hmm. and just view everything as an open discussion so if you didn't agree with something we said let's have a conversation about it don't blast us anywhere don't um do like like do anything unnecessary we don't hit us up yeah just we don't approve of cancel culture (laughs) we don't approve of cancel culture i don't think that's a that's a thing. I think it's actually on a decline, but we can talk about that later because people are realizing how stupid it is for you to cancel someone um, for like an amount of time that isn't defined. You know, like there's mm. like like there's no clear rule book when it comes to canceling someone. It's something new, again, that the postmodernist people um, have invented, which I'm actually against cancel culture when it comes to that. Like I think people should be given the opportunity to redeem themselves. Mm. And again, but we will leave that for the next episode because we could go through the whole spectrum of what I think, like there are limitations, of course, if you kill a hundred thousand people or a hundred people, like, yeah, then you're obviously canceled, (laughs) but there are like, you know, like you have to be reasonable. You can't just cancel people left and right because you feel like they, they They wronged you or rubbed you you off, like rubbed you, rubbed, oh my God, rubbed you off. Rubbed you off. Yeah. (laughs) That's what she said. That's what she said. All right. So that's when we know that we should end the show. All right, guys. So thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Uh, and yeah, peace. Wait, let the rain. Oh, yeah, that's rain. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they can hear, but it's raining outside. Okay, it's, bye. It's probably, <laughs> bye.